Welcome to another episode of Talks for a Magical Monday, the weekly podcast of the Heralds of the Gospel. I'm your host, Brother Gustavo. For those who are not familiar with the Heralds, the Heralds of the Gospel are a community active in the Catholic Archdiocese of Toronto, as well as several other cities across Canada. Founded by Monsignor Jean Cladias, the Heralds comprise priests, religious, brothers and sisters, and lay people since their pontifical recognition in 2001 by Pope John Paul II. And for those who are familiar with the Heralds, this podcast features the talks following the Heralds' weekly rosary at St. Patrick's Parish in Schomburg, Ontario, where the brothers share some consoling and encouraging thoughts precisely geared to those dreaded beginnings of a probably hard week called Mondays. If you want to know more about the origin of the podcast, please stop right here. Go back and listen to episode number one. So even if today it's not Monday, but you're still commuting or doing chores, take heart brighten your perspectives and enjoy today's talk recorded live at St. Patrick's Church in Schomburg, Ontario. The topic, how to avoid fear, anxiety and doubt. Welcome then to Talks for a Magical Monday, the weekly podcast of the Heralds of the Gospel. Very good. Uh, today the topic is actually very useful and has applications to our daily life and also is going to leave us with a lot of serenity and peace. So when we retire tonight after the rosary, right, we can meditate about these things. And again, it's going to be a source for all of us to, to find consolations and also to uh, find new reasons to trust God the way we should. The, 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 the topic proposed tonight was, uh, okay, how to avoid fear, anxiety, and doubt. And those are three things that many times we have to overcome. Sometimes they try to overcome us, you know, fear, anxiety, and doubts. And I bring again the Book of Confidence by Father Thomas of Saint Laurent, because in the second point of his first chapter, he talks about this. I think he says something very, very beautiful. There are, as we were saying last time, Two kinds of souls. Souls that fear God, but fear God not in the right way, because we have to have fear of the Lord, which prevents us from falling into sin, which prevents us from doing the things we shouldn't do. It's like when we have our grandparents or we have our parents and we have that, how I would say this, that fear of doing something that they may not like. Right? Fear of doing something that is going to somehow uh, offend them, right? Or put them down, or, or eventually, you know, we would do something in their presence that was not proper, right? Why? Because we have so much respect for them that we want to honor them. And this is exactly what means the fear of the Lord. But there is a negative fear, which means that we, when we have a fear of God that paralyzes us in the trust we should have towards him. And so he says, there are many souls that fear God. There are many souls also that lack faith. And these are two 
of the main obstacles that prevent us from having confidence in divine providence and from trusting divine providence the way we should. So tonight we're going to see why, for instance, um, few, he says, few Christians, huh? even among the most fervent, possess that confidence that excludes all doubts and all anxiety. We all have faith, thanks be to God. We all pray, thanks be to God. But when anxiety hits us, hits us badly, when we are not sure anymore what is front, what is back, what is, if there is a, you know, if there is a floor under, under our feet or if there is a ceiling, sometimes we doubt about everything and we fear. And there are very, very few among us that in those moments manage to keep trust and manage to, manage to keep confidence in God. And here he says, why? Well, what happens is this. He goes back to the figure of St. Peter. When there was the miraculous fishing in the Sea of Galilee, St. Peter realized completely the distance that went between Jesus, between this divine, almost, I don't know, he, 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 he didn't know who Jesus was yet, but the miraculous fishing was something that struck him. And then, as a result, he saw the almost infinite distance that went between Jesus and himself, between God and himself. And then he throws himself at the feet of Jesus, saying, Lord, far, go far away from me, because I am a sinful man. And that is exactly what may happen to us. Sometimes we think, oh my goodness, uh, we feel our miseries. Mm? We feel our sinfulness sometimes so keenly, so deeply. We feel um, our shortcomings. We feel that many times we fall in the same traps, we fall in the same faults, and we start doubting, how come that someone so perfect as God is going to put up with us. That is the reason by which many times we, he says here, we scarcely dare approaching God, who is holiness itself. He says to those souls, it seems that the all holy God must feel an invincible aversion towards them. And this unhappy impression, he says, affects their whole interior life. How? ways, hampering them, hampering their spiritual life, preventing them from growing in their spiritual life, and finally, in a sort of paralysis of a spiritual life. And that's why many times people walk away from church. That's why many times people stop coming to Mass. That's why many, 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 many times they just simply give up. And that giving up unfortunately, has a root a little bit in our pride. Because we would like to be the ones that give the reason for God to love us. Because we are virtuous, because we do good, because we perform acts that are worthy. And in turn, we don't realize that if there is something that moves God, is to see the shortcomings, the faults sometimes of his children, when in turn, after committing those faults, we children turn towards God and ask for forgiveness. If there is something that can move the heart of God, 
is that very same attitude. There was these famous revelations, we always quote all the time to St. Margaret Mary, right? The Sacred Heart of Jesus has beautiful revelations towards. And then in one of those, if I'm not mistaken, he says, you know what hurts me the most? It's not that the souls commit sins. No, it's not that people commit sins, commit faults, commit... No, it's that after committing those faults, they don't turn towards my sacred heart and ask for pardon. Not because God wants us to be humiliated and so on. No, because God all the time wants to pardon. Jesus, the sacred heart of Jesus, all the time we could say he's waiting to have the possibility to grant us his forgiveness. And unfortunately, this is one of the reasons by which we lose trust in God. We think that he's too much powerful, too powerful, he's too holy, and he's not going to give us the, the, the hour, the time. And it's not that. We should think the opposite. I already told you, I think, last time, but it's always good to remember, no? Our founder, Dr. Plinio, he used to say, uh, and even Monsignor Jean-Claude also used to say, eh, what should St. Peter have done when he realized this tremendous difference between God and him, this infinite dif distance that went between Jesus and his sinful being, right? What should he, what should he should have said? Come closer to me because I am a sinful man. Come really close because I need you. So if we have this kind of confidence, if this becomes our fundamental reaction towards anxiety, towards fear, towards uncertainty, we will be very, very, very well served by this virtue. Because the moment we realize our shortcomings, and in those moments, if our fundamental reaction is to turn towards the sacred heart of Jesus and seek for refuge there, I don't think fear will be present anymore in our lives. And if it is, it's going to be all the time a good opportunity for us to turn towards Jesus. So, again, in front of anxiety, in front of fear, in front of uncertainty, the best thing we could do, we should do, is to turn towards God. And God is always going to receive us. But we need to have that as a second nature, to have that as a, a fundamental reaction. You know, when we don't think, that has to be the automatic position we should acquire. Jesus, remember, he says, quickly approached the frightened apostle, saying, fear not. Imagine the divine lips of Jesus saying, fear not. This is what we should all the time have in our minds. When anxiety comes, when these uncertainties come and we don't know what to do, remember, there is Jesus saying, fear not. And took the apostle by his hand and made him rise. We also, to whom Jesus has given so many proofs of his love, we cannot fear. So above all, our Lord is concerned that you might fear him. <laughs> That's a problem, right? If there is something the Sacred Heart of Jesus really doesn't want, is that we fear Him. It's the opposite. So, our imperfections, our weaknesses, our most serious 
faults. Come on, those are frightening enough. Our repeated relapses, he says, will, not, will never drive Jesus away, provided that we sincerely wish to repent. So there it is. If when we fall, if every time we just do whatever we shouldn't do, we turn towards him with repentance, willing to receive the graces to become better, he's never going to turn us back. The more miserable we are, the more he has pity in our misery. The more he desires to fulfill his mission of Savior in our regard. So, with this, um, I finish with a small story that has to do, because Jesus is never going to turn us down, but we also have to put our part. Eh? And there is this beautiful legend because it's a legend, but it's fantastic, that goes back to the times when uh, there were kings and there were queens. And at a certain moment, there was this criminal. I already told this story once, but since we never you know, have it for recording and so on, I think it's nice to remind you, because it's always good to, to keep uh, the lessons that this story has. So there was this square, and in the middle of the square, there comes a very, very dark cortege with drummers, with guards, and with judges. And in the bottom of the cortege, there was a criminal. And this criminal had committed a horrendous, heinous crime. And he was going to be put to death. So you can imagine the whole, you know, you have there the executioner, a somber person with a hood in his head with an axe. Is ready to put the uh, sentence into practice. And so, actually, they give up the axe, they put this, uh, this rope around the, the, this poor person's neck. And when he's about, the execution is about to go and simply end his life, there are trumpets in the background. Why? Because the king and the queen were passing by the square. And, and so, everybody stops, of course, it's the king, you know, the king, the queen, everybody just simply, you know, stop for a moment. And the queen approaches, they come closer, and she asks, what is going on? And then, of course, they inform her that this poor criminal is going to be executed. And then, you know, being a mother, being a queen, you can imagine, she says, but is there a crime that that cannot be forgiven? And everybody stops, right? And then one of the uh, people that were present says, actually, my lady, by the most ancient uses of this town, any crime can be forgiven if you present 1,000 gold coins. So any crime... If you present 1,000 gold coins by special privilege for this region, he can be forgiven. So, you can imagine. Then, of course, the king, being there and being the wish of, of, of the queen, he goes, picks up all his coins and puts them on top of the table. He says, here, see how many are there. Then the queen, of course, you know, she sees, oh my goodness, 
my, my husband, you know, the king is putting some. Of course, I'm going to put some more. So she gets her purse and puts some more. Then all the noblemen around, everybody who was there, of course, the king and the queen are, you know, are giving something like that. Everybody wanted to imitate them. So they start collecting all coins possible and everything else. And they finally put together and they present it to the judge. And the judge goes and starts counting. And he counts 800, 850, 900, 970, 990, 997. And when he counts 997, the queen says, well, there we are. But the judge, inflexible, he simply says, the law is the law. It's 1,000 gold coins. These are only 997. We have to abide by the law. So the drums start drumming again. The executioner goes again and puts back the rope around the, the criminal's neck. And then when he's about to be executed, the queen goes again. Wait, wait. Have you checked in his pockets? What if the criminal has some gold coins there? And in total disbelief, the executioner goes, searches in the pockets, and surely enough, he finds three gold coins. And what does this symbolize? The symbolism is very, some maybe very, very obvious, but it's also very beautiful. The king, obviously, is our Lord Jesus Christ. The queen is our lady. All the, the noblemen that were around, symbolize all the saints. So if you pay attention, all the merits of God, plus everything good Our Lady could have done, plus all the merits of all, all the merits of Our Lady were put at the table, all the merits of all the saints were put together, but they are not enough without those three gold coins that have to come from each and every one of us. And tonight, since we're talking about confidence, that's exactly the three gold coins we need. The merits of Jesus, the merits of Our Lady, the merits of a whole celestial court. If we trust and if we have confidence, that's the equivalent to the three gold coins we need for our salvation. If we are able to turn towards our Lord and have that trust, that repentance, that request for mercy, He's going to indeed grant us those three gold coins that are going to make the whole difference. So again, it's in our hands. So whenever anxiety comes, whenever doubts come, whenever problems come, let's turn towards the Sacred Heart of Jesus, the Immaculate Heart of Mary, have that confidence, and those gold coins are going to come to us. So let's say one Hail Mary to finish for tonight. I wish you a good rest, a good Monday evening, plenty of graces, plenty of consolations, and above all, plenty of that confidence. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, 
Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Immaculate Heart of Mary, Our Lady, help of Christians, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. And this is all for today's episode recorded live from St. Patrick's Church in Schomburg, Ontario. You can reach us anytime at one of the Herald's websites, such as heralds.ca forward slash podcast, New Insights Multimedia forward slash podcast, or you can also subscribe on iTunes or anywhere you normally listen to your favorite podcast. And as per now, pray hard, work hard, keep growing in devotion to the Eucharist and our Blessed Mother, evangelize by word and example, and be every day more and more a real herald of the gospel. Is it all